God, this is Advent, and we think about waiting, and we think about expectation, and we think about you coming. And God, Advent isn't just a season that we remember historically, but it's part of our life. It's part of the rhythm of our life that there's a sense in which we're still waiting, and you're still coming. And we want to be expectant, Lord, to meet with you. Lord, some of us in this room, we, we need you to come. We need, there's areas of our life where we need to know that you're there. We wait in expectation. And God, I pray that as we, as we look at what we're going to look at today, which is something that we don't like to talk about, we don't like to think about, we perhaps don't hear about a lot in church. God, I pray that you would come and fill this place with your presence today. That we would know that the Messiah has come. That we would know that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So Lord, would you come and fill this place with your presence and with your spirit. God, I pray that you'd give us the ears to hear you. Lord, there's so many things that we're thinking about right now. And you know, we don't, we shouldn't need 20 or 25 minutes to get into that place where we're focused on you. God, I pray right now we would open our ears to the Holy Spirit. We would clear out all the clutter and the stuff that isn't really that important. And we would have a receptivity to what you want to say and do in this place today. Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. God, let us hear you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Uh, We're going to sing again. Uh, Don't worry about that. But I want to do things slightly differently this morning. Um, I just say, for those of you that are in the choir, the Christmas choir, uh, rehearsal is four o'clock this afternoon, so please be here. Uh, okay, we've only got a few rehearsals and, and we're going to uh, do our best with that. Um, we've been looking at this series called The Art of Living Beautifully. Um, it was inspired a little by two things really. Firstly, by uh, the three weeks that I spent in the States in October uh, as part of a kind of a little mini break uh, that the elders gave me for leading the church for 10 years uh, this September. And, and, and while I was away, there was a whole load of things that happened, uh, which culminated, I think, in this series. But also, in the context of the last year, 18 months, in my own life and in the life of the church, I've been asking a lot of questions. And um, w- one of the questions that we looked at in week one was, does my life story make sense in this book? In other words, if, if I was in this book, in the book of Hebrews, would it make sense? Would it connect Would it look like it belonged there? Would your story look like it belonged in that book? And that's what we looked at week one. Do you remember that? We looked at the power of story. We looked at a faith that is passionate, not lukewarm. And then in week two, the question was, will I ever be the me that God meant me to be? You know, how do we become the people that God meant us to be? And we talked about not giving in to our appetites and not giving up on the passionate pursuit of Christ. And then last week, for those of you that are here, we looked at the power of music. And the question was, does Jesus play jazz? Do you remember that? If you were here last week. We looked at the difference between learning music by the rules, by the notes and by the dots, and understanding the roots, the chords and the structures. And we looked at jazz and you saw the jazz guitarist and you saw me making my jazz debut or my guitar debut. It was hardly jazz uh, last week as well. And we looked at that whole thing and, and we talked about faith, spirituality is much more jazz than it is learning the rules. And we talked about that last week. And then at the end of last week, I said, and this week, the question is, will I ever learn to dance? Now, I never said, I'm going to dance this week. No, I never did. No, I never did because I've listened to it back. <laughs> the question is, will I ever learn to dance? And this is, this is inspired by genuinely a genuine question that when I go to weddings or parties, which I do and I know you do, there's always that dance section at the end and I really want to do it. And I do do it Well, I go onto the dance floor, but I can't dance. And the question that has been bothering me is, what is it with the white British male? Have you noticed that? Over 35. Why does the white British male over 35 do this thing which has been called in in contemporary culture the dad dance? Let's take a little look at the dad dance in action. (laughs) The funny thing is, that's much better than me. Trust me, that really is. And then I thought, there is a thing called the dad dance. And if you've ever seen Peter Kay, anyone follow comedians? Peter Kay's whole thing about, you know, a wedding, the whole wedding dance thing. And that there's always an uncle 
And I won't call you what, what say what he says about his uncle's name. He's always got like a white suit and slip-ons and fancies himself as a bit of a dancer. And then when we were in Albania a few months ago, there was a wedding in the apartment opposite the church. And as they were coming out, we all went and watched the wedding come out. And we thought, I wonder if it's like it is in England, where there's an uncle with a white suit. And, the, and there was. <laughs> there, was this, there was this fella come out and he had this white suit and slip-ons and really fancied himself. And what is it about this whole dad dance? And then I started to research it. And I'm going to quote you the actual research that's been done by someone who has paid money to do this. All right? So here it goes. The cringeworthy dad dancing witnessed at wedding receptions every weekend may be an unconscious way in which aging males repel the attention of young women. <laughs> Leaving the field clear for men at their sexual peak. <laughs> And then this is what the researcher says. The message their dancing sends out is, stay away, I'm not fertile. <laughs> Said Dr. Peter Lovett, a psychologist at the University of Hertfordshire. He's actually doing this for a job. It's really scary. He's compared the dancing styles and confidence levels of nearly 14,000 people. His research has backed up scientific studies showing a connection between dancing, hormones and sexual selection. They really need to get out more, don't they? You know, that's, somebody's doing that for a job. But I'm thinking about this whole dancing thing, and I want to use dancing as a metaphor. I'm not talking about literal dancing. But when you look in the Bible, dancing's really interesting. Dancing is never connected with um, female-male attraction. It's never connected with anything like that. It's connected with three things, actually. Firstly, gratitude for who God is. You often see people dancing with just gratitude and thankfulness for who God is. And so, as with singing, the Bible never says, sing with a beautiful voice. It says, just make a joyful noise. So the same thing with dancing, that actually even physical dancing is just about expressing your gratitude and thanks to God. You don't have to be a great dancer to dance. Secondly, dancing is often connected with an expression of worship. That kind of words don't do, and it's an expression of worship. But the third thing about dancing is that dancing is connected with joy that follows a period of mourning. And I want to use dancing this morning, and the question, will I ever learn to dance? I want to talk about two subjects this morning. They, they don't seem connected at all. It's a little bit like two talks in one, which is why I'm on early. Okay? But the first one is, will I ever learn to dance with loss? The second one is, will we ever learn to dance with difference and diversity? So we're going to look at those two things this morning. So firstly, will I ever learn to dance with loss? And this is a heavy subject, a difficult subject. And you might think it's a weird subject to talk about at the end of this series. But I think it's the right one. When I, when I was putting this series together, I really didn't have much clue about weeks one, two, and three. But I knew what I wanted to do in week four, which was this morning. So you've got a Bible. We're going to look at Psalm 30. And we're just going to literally read the psalm as a backdrop to the question, will we ever learn to dance when we've got loss in our lives. And David writes this psalm in Psalm 30. He says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. This is probably written um, out of a great period of illness that David experienced, loss associated with illness and also with attacks from his enemies. He says, O Lord my God, I called you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And listen to this verse. How many have ever felt like this? When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favoured me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. There's a moment when David says, I was totally secure, like a mountain, you know, we're singing, we'll never, I'll never be moved. But then you hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down to the pit? In other words, why me? You know, why, why me, God, is what he's saying there. Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. 
You know, loss is an incredibly challenging thing to live with. You see, on any ordinary day, your whole life can change, can't it? Like that. Over the last year to 18 months, I've had quite a few of those days. 18 months ago in July, I had a call early in the morning to go into the QE hospital and arrived just minutes too late before my dad died. And standing beside his bed and, you know, and I've lost people before, but nobody as close as this. And trying to say goodbye to my dad, my friend and a hero was an incredibly difficult situation. And 18 months on, you're still trying to adjust to that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Then there's been the days in January this year when we realised that our youngest son, Simeon, his complex special needs were just far too big for us. And after about six months of being hit and having quite a lot of angst and violence and difficulty in the house and just despairing and not knowing what to do, we came to a day when we looked at each other and we said, you know what, we can't cope with this anymore. And we need to ask the social services to help us and to get involved. And that, that day has changed and is changing our, our lives and our family. And then there came a day when uh, we knew, and this was just a few weeks after that, that we'd have to, we were going to say goodbye to Simeon, wave him off in a car to go to school and that he wouldn't be coming home again. That day again has changed and is changing our life and we're having to adjust to that. And then over the last year, I've had a lot of days, a lot more than normal, where there's been people who were walking with God and who I thought were walking down the same road as I was and now aren't. Some of them are in this country and some of them are overseas. But I haven't known a time where there's been so many people who, were, who I thought were walking down the same path as me now to realise that actually they're not walking down that path at all. And that's loss. And I want to share that, not just to talk about myself, because I'm not going to talk about myself this morning, but just to open it up with you and to say loss is a part of life, isn't it? And whether it's big things or whether it's little things, loss can change us. And the idea that we could dance, because dance as a metaphor talks to me about life. It's not like bread and water existing. It's life, it's joy, it's vibrancy. The idea that you can dance when you have loss in your life seems to be incongruent. It seems to not connect and not fit together. Loss is not something that we recover from or let's get back to that happy place before we had the loss. The Bible said loss is something that we need to set right. The Bible uses the word redeemed. We need to redeem loss so that what God does is what we looked at last week. He makes beauty out of the dust. He makes beautiful things out of things that aren't beautiful. That's the whole thing about redeeming loss. We've all experienced loss of some kind. You loved someone and they died. I know that for some of you, this is the first Christmas without them. It's going to be incredibly difficult and incredibly painful. I'm fully aware of that. Someone hurt you and the relationship has died. Your marriage broke up. Your job has been terminated. Your health is beginning to fade. Life turned out disappointing. Your dream has died. And there's all kinds of things, isn't there, and that, that we're living with and that we're carrying with and we can call it loss. And it seems a really funny way to end up this series, but I want you to hang with me because I do think this is the right way to end this series. Because actually the art of living beautifully, as I've said all the way through, is not the art of living victoriously. That's a whole different thing. You see, sometimes people who are carrying loss live the most beautiful lives imaginable because of the way that they live it. And when you go through loss of whatever description, there are a whole series of questions that you ask. The first question is this, why me? David asks it there, doesn't he? Why me? Am I being punished? Am I being tested? Am I being prepared? What is the point, God, of all this? Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever had a speeding ticket? Okay, put your hand down. Another question. At the time... How many of you were speeding? Just, just thought I'd check. You see, you see the, the reality is that some loss is our own fault. I'm staggered when I sit with people who, who are moaning with God and moaning with other people about loss in their life. And I say, and it's your fault. You had the affair. You did that. You made that choice. You chose to do that. It's your fault. And yet, for, for a lot of us, There's a whole load of loss which is nothing to do with us. It's not our fault. It's just happened. That's the hardest loss of all to deal with, isn't it? It's just happened. 
And I think one of the problems for us, especially in the Western world, is that we live with an illusion that we can control our life. You see, if we use all our intellect, all our wealth, all our abilities, all our skills, all of our education, we can create a life that is free from loss. That's an illusion. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And the prophet Isaiah put it this way. He said, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. It's a bit of a depressing verse, but basically God's saying, look, it happens. It happens whether you've got education or not, whether you've got money or not, whether you're bright or not. It happens. We cannot control it. And, and, And the question, why me? could be reframed to why not me, couldn't it? Because I've asked the question this last year, look, why me, God? And, and, and I felt God sort of say, why not you, Leon? Are you any better than anybody else? Are you any worse? No. Loss happens because it happens. It's part of our life and part of our world. The more important question is the second question, how will I respond to loss then? How will I respond? What the Bible doesn't say is pretend like it doesn't exist. Bible doesn't say that. A few months ago, I was in a, a, situ- in a meeting here that Dan was leading. It was like a welcoming, connecting lunch for new people. And I realised, and I was just there to make up the numbers, I think, Dan and Helen were leading it. And I realised there were a whole bunch of kids, and they were running around, and they were quite noisy. And I thought, Dan's going to really struggle to communicate. So I'll take these kids into the corner, and I'll just provide such a calming, peaceful environment for these beautiful little children that they'll just be like little angels, but silent angels. And I thought I'd do that. I failed miserably. And then, and then as I was trying to herd these cats, and I, I mean, as I was trying to control all these children and get, and get them to be quiet, I remembered a game that we used to play when you were kids. Remember like the quiet game? You might have called it Sleeping Lions or something like that. If you're on a long journey, your mum and dad would say, we're going to play the quiet game. And there's going to be, because you're like that, me and my sister in the back of the car, you're going to be quiet and, and the one who is quiet the longest gets a prize. I always thought, mum, I'm 22. Why are we playing this game there? But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But So I remembered about the quiet game and then I said, children... I said, no, I said, I didn't do that. I said, children, should we play the quiet game? We'll all lie down and we'll all be quiet. And the one who's the quietest along is going to get a very, very special prize. I don't know what that will be. And then they all, they all start playing. And then one kid realises, I don't have to play the quiet game. And they start making a noise. And all of a sudden, the game's gone. And when I thought back to that, I thought, do you know what? We don't have to play the quiet game neither. You see, sometimes in church and in our culture especially in a British culture, I don't realise you're not all from a British culture, there can be a tendency when it comes to loss to say, we're going to play the quiet game. Everyone be quiet. That's not what the Bible says. Never, you should play the quiet game. You, you, you see the Bible, on the book of Psalms, a third of the book of Psalms are called laments. Where, where like Psalm 30, David's not being quiet. He's saying, how long God? Where are you God? Why is this happening? He's not playing the quiet game. He's expressing his feelings and this totally appropriate thing to do. But you see, the other thing that we do, as well as play the quiet game, is that we escape, don't we? So because we can't deal with our loss, we try and escape by filling our life with a load of stuff. Whether it be addictions, or busyness, or work, or spending money, or entertainment, or whatever. Because because we're too scared to deal with the loss. I want to say just a little word to, to, to those of you who are not experiencing loss right now. I want to ask you to do something. You know, the Bible speaks in Romans 12, 15 of how we should be with each other. It says, you should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And then you should mourn with those who are mourning. What does that mean? It means that when you see someone who is going through some kind of loss, and it might not be grief, but some kind of loss, stand with them. Mourn with them. Be alongside them. Don't, don't. Try and offer them advice or solutions or easy try answers. Just be with them. And you know one of the problems I think in in church culture is that what we often do is that we don't stay down long enough. What do I mean by that? A deep sea diver looking for pearls actually knows that the pearls are in the deepest part of the ocean. And in order to get the pearls, he or she needs to stay down long enough and go down deep enough to actually get the pearls. But what we do when we're asking people and we're trying to engage with people is that we don't... So we say, how are you doing? And if they're not doing particularly well, we can't wait to get out there quick enough because we can't stay down long enough. Because we think, well, I don't know what to say. And they don't need your words. They just need you to know that you love them enough, that you're connected enough to stay down long enough. 
The other thing I want to share with you is this. Ask the second question. This is just an idea that's been coming to me as I've been thinking about this. I guess because of my own life, but also not just as a receiver, but as a giver of this. I wonder how often I go to someone and I know that they're going through a difficult time and I ask one question and then walk away. If you ask one question, you will rarely get a good answer. If you say to me, how's Simeon doing? Then I'm going to say, do you know what? He's settling in really well. If that's the end of our conversation, you've not connected with me. You've not stood with me. And when I do that to other people, I've not done it. But when you ask a second question or a third question, all of a sudden there's a relationship. Does it make sense? And wouldn't it be fantastic if we as a community went down deep enough with each other and were prepared to ask a second or a third question to show that actually we really do care. We might be a little fearful of the answer or the emotion, but we're not that fearful that we won't push through. Ask a second question. When someone in a life group says something, ask a second question. Ask a third question. You'll find that something will open up and it will be an opportunity for you to be there, not to give answers, but to be a strength and a support and a comfort. Third question, how do I protect myself from loss? In the healing process, there's always a moment when you've been hurt or you've been wounded where you think, I ain't going to be hurt and wounded again. How do I protect myself from this loss? How many of you have ever been hurt in a relationship in church? Of course you have. The rest of you haven't put your hand up. You obviously aren't churchgoers. The reality is that we'll all get hurt. And what we try and do is we try and protect ourselves from the hurt. Jesus taught that to love means you're going to get hurt. The only way to protect yourself is not to love, not to trust, not to risk, not to live. C.S. Lewis, uh, I love C.S. Lewis, and um, I uh, read some stuff of him recently, which I didn't, under- didn't realise, that at the age of nine, he lost his, mo- his mother died. And it really affected him at the age of nine. And so he says in his own words that he, he spent the rest of his life trying to insulate himself against getting hurt again. And so he went into the world of academia and became quite, quite reclusive, a brilliant mind, but he got locked into that whole insular world. And then in his 50s, met the woman who changed his life, who he fell in love with, married, and then she had a terminal disease and she died. And, and he wrote about it and, and listen to what he says. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable and irredeemable. Isn't that amazing? That's from a guy who spent 50 years trying to protect himself, realised that he couldn't. If he wanted to live beautifully, then you've got a risk. And I want to say to you, some of you who are going through loss right now, you will dance again. You will dance again. And you do not need to feel guilty about dancing again, neither. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You came to mind when you thought, if I laugh, if I laugh, what does that mean about, what, about my loss? about my situation. And yet I believe God wants to say, you cannot protect yourself. You cannot. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to love. You're going to get hurt. It's called living. It's called living. And we will love again. And we will live again. And we will dream again. And we will dance again if we let God help us. The fourth question, I think, perhaps the big theological question, where's God? I mean, if God created this world, why didn't he create it in a pain-free, loss-free way? Well, I need to tell you that actually he did do that. You you, you see, we need to understand this. Theologically, it's very important. God's plan was not death. You know that, don't you? Death, pain, sorrow, separation, loss was not in plan A. That was not the original intention. God created a world in which the environment of that world was, was perfect. But he created human beings with a free will and a choice, not robots. How many of you have ever seen the film and would admit it, Stepford Wives? Okay, others have seen it and won't admit it. Uh, it's basically, it's a film about the kind of 1950s in America, suburban America. And the idea is that these wives are perfect. Like they look perfect every day. The kids are perfect. The house is spotless. The meals are beautiful on the table for when the husband comes home from work every day they satisfy their husbands every wish and desire but at the end of the film it turns out that they're not real they're robots 
Now I ask you men, who would want a wife like that? Who would want a wife that was perfect, that never complained or moaned, that kept the house spotless, that had your meal on the table when you came up and satisfied your every wish and desire? Men, who would want a wife like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the nine o'clock, they all went like, ah, it was amazing. I'm like, the answer's no. <laughs> but God did not create us like that. He created a perfect world, but he gave us the free will and the choice. And with that free will and the choice, we let sin into the world that distorted that. And so pain, death, loss is all now part of this world. And we, see, we, see, we say, well, where's God then in that? Well, he didn't just create it, wind it up, give us free will, and then sit back and let us make a mess of it. No, what he did was that having created it, given us a free will and a choice, having us messed it up, he didn't just sit back, but he got involved. And he got involved by sending his one and only son. And when I think back over this year, and I think in some of my darker moments about my son, and all I can I say, God, I don't understand all this, but I know that you know what that's like. You know what it's like to wave your son off and knowing that he's going to go through suffering and pain and death, which is not the same in our situation, but you know what it's like to let him go. And when I look at that cross, I think, here's a God who could let his only son hang on a cross and suffer and die for me, not because he has to, but because I need him to. And you say, where's God? That's where he is. There's a fellow that I was reading about this week who lost his own son at the age of 25. He died in a mountaineering accident. And he's, he's writing about this and he said, It's said of God that no one can behold his face and live. I thought perhaps this means that no one can see God's splendor and live. Then I thought perhaps it means that no one can see God's sorrow and live. Because Jesus is often called a man of sorrows. And then listen to this. Or perhaps it means that God's sorrow is God's splendor. The fact that our God would go through that sorrow for me and for you and for fallen humanity is God's splendor. Isn't that amazing? And listen, I haven't got any try easy answers for you. If you're going through loss of whatever description, but I know this, your God is still your God even in the loss. There's been times these last 18 months when I haven't felt that. There's been times these last 18 months when I haven't known where God was. But I tell you what, God all the way through has still been my God. Still my God. And if you're going through loss right now and you're facing up to Christmas and you're saying, I don't really want to go through this, I want you to know God is still your God. Where is he? In pain and loss. Look at the cross. And also remember that that pain and loss didn't stay that neither. Our God is the God who redeems. Our God is the God who doesn't just stay locked in Friday, but there's a Sunday. Our God is the God who turns mourning into dancing. Fifth question, will I ever dance again? If I'm using that as a metaphor, will I ever really live again? Will I ever really enjoy life again when I've got this loss? The answer is yes, you will. And you should. And you should without feeling guilty, which is one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? And that's a process and it takes time, but there'll be some moments when you'll say, and you know what I think is that God is, you all remember the school disco, don't you? That horrendous experience that was put on the earth as part of our... I don't know what it was, like the Inquisition or something. That's the school disco when you go and you think, will anybody ever invite me onto the dance floor? And I I want you to use that as a metaphor because God invites you onto the dance floor again. You may have loss. With your loss, God invites you to dance again. I've been looking at a book about grief recently. um, And in the book, it talks about like an ABC. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, that's going to be a little trite. But it's not trite. He talks about A, mean accepting that you don't have the whole picture. Whatever the loss is, you don't have the whole picture. B is believing that God does and he loves you greatly. Like we've been saying the last few weeks, with a wet, sloppy kiss. And C is continuing by faith and not by sight. You see, we often think, well, I will dance again when I understand why all this happened. Well, then you ain't going to be dancing. See, we have to accept that God, that we don't have the big picture, but God does. And that God loves us in our loss and that we can continue by faith and not by sight. And when God comes to invite you onto the dance floor, the choice of whether you dance will be yours and yours alone. And I want the Holy, going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to you this morning. And we're going to 
give a little bit of space to be creative and Julie and Lee and Vicky are going to come and Vicky's going to sing and Julie's going to dance. And this song, you may have heard the song before. I think originally it was written by a Christian and then it's been taken and used by pop singers and stuff. But if you think of the words of the song, the, the song is an invitation to live. The song is an invitation to believe. The song is an invitation to enjoy life and to enjoy God. And the question is, when it comes to that choice, are you going to sit it out or are you going to dance? And the question is, or, or, or the statement is, I hope you dance. So I want you to watch. Some of the words will come up on the screen as well. And let God speak to you. And if you are in loss right now and you're carrying loss right now, believe that God is inviting you to dance again with him. Sit it out or dance. The choice is yours. I hope that you dance. Let's pray. Just bow our heads just for a moment. Father, I, just, I want to pray for everybody here this morning. and We've all got some kind of loss. And there's always that moment when we, in our lives when we think, will we sit this one out or will we dance? And perhaps some of us aren't ready for that. And I understand that. But God, I pray that you're going to keep inviting us anyway. And there will come a moment when we are ready, but we just need to make the choice to smile or to laugh or to step out or to, to risk or to trust or to believe. And God, I just pray that in this place this morning, there'll just be a sense that we're ready. The next time you invite us, we're not going to sit it out, but we're going to dance. God, I pray for anyone that's carrying loss right now and it's really difficult and it's really painful. God, I pray that you would be with them, be their strength and their comfort. And I pray that we as well would be with them as well that we would stand with them, that we'd be willing to go down deep enough and stay down long enough and ask the second question. And at the right time, then God, they will rise like we always do and we will dance again if we'll just choose to respond to your invitation. So God, help us, I pray. We want to live beautiful lives. And Lord, our lives are so full sometimes of stuff that we don't consider beautiful. But Lord, you make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. That's just an amazing thing. And so Lord, would you do it, I pray. And I pray that there'll be lots of us that will dance again, even over these few weeks and this next month. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. I have a a confession to make. I have never, ever watched Strictly Come Dancing. (laughs) <laughs> until, until last night. Because I knew that this second part that I wanted to talk about this morning, and I'm only going to talk for about 10 minutes, it just came to me really powerfully when I saw in the paper a picture of Anne Widdicombe and Anton Zebeck. Just a powerful moment of emotion just swept over me. And he, here is a picture, and I, and I looked at the picture, and I thought, do you know what? I understand about Strictly Come Dancing. You see, the first bit of what we're talking about, Dancing with Lost, is about God inviting you to dance. This is now, Strictly Come Dancing is about people dancing together. And I look at Anne Widdicombe and Anton de Beck and I think, that really shouldn't happen, should it? Do you know what I mean? Just, just shouldn't, it just shouldn't happen in any, in, any, in any way. It just shouldn't be. It's like they do not belong together. They do not fit together. It shouldn't happen. And I thought... And it set me off thinking, and I believe God gave me this kind of whole picture really that I want to share with you this morning as a church. This is more to us as a church. But I thought, well, if I'm going to speak about it, I ought to watch it. So I watched it last night for 20 minutes. We had friends around for dinner, which fortunately rescued me from watching it anymore. And after I watched it for 20 minutes, I knew why I've never watched it before. Because <laughs> it was horrible. But I did watch uh, these two dance, and she jumped. Anybody watch it last night? Somebody, okay, some of you love it, don't you? Bless you. There's help. There's, a, there's, <laughs> there's prayer for you at the end. And like when she, when she jumped into his arms and he spun her around and you could see the look on his face. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then when the fella afterwards says, I don't really know what to say, the judge, but dancing is music and movement together. And then he just kind of looked perplexed. He didn't know what to say next. It shouldn't work, but you know what? It does. It does. Not by the judge's standards, but it does. They dance together. And here's the thought I believe God gave me. It shouldn't work that people so different should be able to dance together. But isn't it beautiful when they can? 
You see, when you think about the church, it's a picture of the church, you see. Because for me, it's like, wow, that's exactly what we are. Different colours, different cultures, different educational backgrounds, different um, upbringings, different likes, different dislikes. We wouldn't be in the same room if it wasn't for Christ. And yet when we put our differences aside and when we learn to dance together with the music that God sends, there is nothing as beautiful as that on the face of planet Earth. Nothing is what was so amazing about the early church. It wasn't their great preaching. It wasn't their great worship bands. It wasn't Hillsong first century. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't their stages. It wasn't their buildings. It wasn't their programs. It wasn't their strategies. It was the community that they had. It shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked Jews and Greeks. It shouldn't have worked male and female. It shouldn't have worked black and white. It shouldn't have worked slave and free, but it did. And it changed the world. And it still does. You know, I am passionate about this. That when we learn to dance together with our difference and with our diversity, there is nothing as beautiful as that on planet Earth. And you see, I understand why there are churches for black people and churches for white people and churches for Chinese people and churches who like quiet music and churches who like loud music. I understand all that. But I tell you what, there is something bigger when we all come together and we dance in the same way. There's something phenomenal when black and white live together and we honour each other and we value each other and sometimes you lead and I follow and sometimes I lead and you follow because that's what dancing is. And you know what? If we're going to do that, we are going to step on each other's toes. Big deal. Get over it. I tell you what, Anne Widdicombe stepped on his toes a lot, I reckon. Because when you're learning to dance... Part of learning to dance is you will get out of beat, you will get out of time, and you will step on each other's toes, won't you? And you know, and I think, wow, so many Christians are, I ain't going to do church anymore because somebody hurt me. Grow up. Grow up. Of course they're going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt some other people. Not intentionally, but that's the way we are. And when you bring people together so differently, you're going to get more of that. But when we learn to groove with each other, when we learn to dance, there is nothing like it on planet Earth. You know, an icon, you've heard of the word icon. An icon is a painting that depicts Christ in Orthodox or in Catholic uh, tradition. But the meaning of icon is much bigger than that. It's something that symbolizes or represents something bigger than itself. So the church is an icon. Because the church is like a microcosm. It represents who God is. But you see, when we refuse to get on the dance floor with each other, when we refuse to submit to the music, when we refuse to, I ain't going to be led by you, or I'm not going to lead you, when we refuse to do that, when we step on each other's toes and get offended, when we exit off the dance floor, it's ugly. It's ugly. But when we say, do you know what? We're we're only here together because of Christ. And because of Christ, we are one in Christ. You're my brother and my sister. You're a different colour, you're a different culture, you, you support Albion. But whatever the difference is, whatever the difference is. And so because of that, I could choose not to dance with you. But do you know what? Because of Christ, we're going to dance. And, and you can lead and I'll follow. And then I'll lead and you follow. Oh, you stopped on my toes. But we can do it again. I trod on yours, didn't I? We can do it again. When we do that, the world will watch and will say, Wow. I've got a lot of meetings at the moment in my diary and many of us have here and we're talking with our local authority and we're trying to engage with our authority. I tell you what, out there, there is chaos, isn't there? Chaos. Many of you know that. You work there. Bless you. You are missionaries in the, in the mission place right there if you're involved in all of this stuff right now. And there's chaos and there's not a lot of ideas about it. But I tell you what, God had a great idea for the social ills of our world and it's called the church. You think, well, that's very arrogant. You might think that, but I don't think it is. It's God's plan A. You see, the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy. You see, we think about all these ideas. Let's get everyone around together and think how strategic we can be and how many work groups and focus groups and, and we can go and come up with all these different things. That's all fantastic. That's all great. The church is a social strategy where people of difference come together and work together and dance together and care for each other. When Roman society broke down, the Bible or the historians tell you the church stepped in. 
The church provided the education and the health and the social care and the spiritual direction. The church has always done that. And what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to be marginalised when God says, actually, you're meant to be plan A. You're meant to be in the centre. But we've got to learn to dance with each other. And it starts when you and I learn to dance with difference. You might say, that sounds great. Well, let's get really practical. You know, you might, I'm going to ask you a question. So I've just put my notes aside because I want to really go with this. You might say, well, how do I know whether, whether I'm like this, whether I'm dancing with difference? I'll tell you how to know. Get your phone out and look in your contact list. If everybody in your phone is just like you, then you ain't dancing with difference or diversity. Well, there's nobody black in my phone. Then you need to think about that. There's nobody white in my contact list. Then you need to think about that. There's nobody that's, actually everybody in my contact list are my friends and they're just like me. That's okay, but it's pretty ugly. But when, but when we look and we think, wow, there's so much difference in this. There's so many different people that speak into my life and that I connect with. There's beauty in that, isn't there? There's beauty in that. Here's another one. This is really radical. Sit by somebody different on church on a Sunday. Oh, but I always sit by the same people then grow up, then grow up and move around a bit and sit by somebody different. So there's never been as much reaction to anything I've said, I don't think, is that? But it's been heck, heretic, do you know what I mean? Honestly, you're not going to die if you sit by somebody else and talk to them and engage with them. And wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if we, if we actually became a church, and I know that we are on this journey, wouldn't it be amazing if we became a church where... Whenever you walked in, you just felt that you could belong. No matter what colour you were, no matter what background you were, no matter what education or what job you did. And, and so you'd have someone sitting there or standing there in worship who's, who's earning loads of money and is, you know, is, is a boss of a big company and someone who's just lost their job, but they're brothers. So you, don't go, you can't find that anywhere else. That's what makes the church so amazing. Now, how are we going to do that then? How are we going to dance with diversity? Let me just give you a few principles from this metaphor. Number one, we have to step on the dance floor. See, lots of people will come to church, but never step on the dance floor. And I've heard them say, well, I haven't got any friends. Yeah, but you've never stepped on the dance floor. You never put yourself out there. You've never actually tried to be a friend. You've never gone to a group. You've never really put yourself out. Or you have done it a few times, and then you didn't like it, so you went and sulked, basically. But you've got to get on the dance floor. Secondly, you've got to submit to the Lord of the dance. It's not about you anyway, is it? It's about the Lord of the dance. It's about who He is. It's about what He's called you to do. Not whether you want to or not, whether you like to or not. It's about submitting to the Lord of the dance. Number three, it's about getting over the initial embarrassment. How many of you need to do that when you start to dance? Do you know what I mean? It's like, this doesn't really feel right. You get over that initial embarrassment. It still doesn't look right, but you feel differently because you get over the initial embarrassment. Number four, we have to accept Toes will be trodden on and you will be part of the treading. And if we just accept that, I mean, I'm staggered. At how people say, oh, but, but he hurt me and he upset me and I didn't like the way he said that. I'm thinking, so what? That's going to happen. I will hurt you. You will hurt me. We'll hurt each other. As long as we know it's not intentional, it's because we're human and we're frail and we'll do that. Then we'll just, we'll, we'll mend it. We'll go up. We'll, we'll ask for forgiveness. We'll give forgiveness. We'll mend it and we'll say, now let's get dancing again. We just accept that toes are going to be trodden on. Number five, we have to willing to li- be led and to lead. You see, sometimes we say, oh, yeah, but you know, this church is just not friendly enough. Then lead. Lead us in friendliness. Do you know what I mean? You know, don't moan about it. Do it. You be the leader. You be the leader in community. You be the leader in doing something. You go do it. You take the lead. But then be willing to be led as well. Because that's how dancing becomes beautiful. When you're willing to lead and be led, to lead and be led, to go in the fl- with the flow of the music and of the dance. And finally, let the music direct you. You know that for me, the music speaks about the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is so clear on this, that when there is unity, and unity is not being in the same building, unity is being connected in heart and soul and life and vision and passion, that when there's unity... There is nothing as powerful as that on planet earth. And there's nothing that you will be able to do. So there's nothing you won't be able to do when you've got unity. 
But when we refuse to step on the dance floor, when we insist on our, remi- our rights, when we remain offended because someone stepped on our toes, when we refuse to lead or be led, we are ugly and we are a caricature of the icon that God envisaged for us. But when we dance, <laughs> when we dance, even we might feel like an Anne Widdicombe and an Anton de Bet, when we dance, we are what God dreamt for us to be. I'm going to ask the, the band to come back up. You know, in, um, we're going to finish now. and We're going to celebrate this morning at the end of our series on the art of living beautifully. Uh, but I want, to, I want to just leave a thought with you as to where all this is heading, guys, okay? And please hang with me because this is prophetic, I believe, what I want to share with you. You see, where we're heading, okay, is in Revelation 21. There's this amazing few verses where, 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 where the writer John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, with a bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's talking about the future. Now I've caught myself recently sounding really old, okay? And I've caught myself saying things like, Young people these days. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And, 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 all the, and I've had to catch myself and saying, I don't really believe that. My view on the future is actually full of hope. Now, I know some of you as Christians will have different things. And all oh, know it's getting worse. It's tribulation. It's wars and rumors of wars and all this. But if you read the Bible in its context and in the whole thing, you see the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And it's like this new earth is coming out of heaven. And it's going to become earth. And actually Jesus said, and actually you'll see glimpses of it even before the end. That's why when you pray, pray this. Our Father right in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it says what? On earth, was it? As it is in heaven. So, so, so what we're doing is that there's a new heaven and it's going to become, there's going to become a new earth as well. And that new earth is going to be absolutely beautiful. And we're going to see glimpses of that now. And when we see glimpses of that, we can say, that's what it looks like. Remember that a few weeks ago with a little person in the corner of the screen? Remember that illustration, some of you that are here? We're pointing to that and we're saying, that's what it looks like. That's where we're going. One day, everything's going to look like that. It doesn't right now, but it will do. And we'll see glimpses of it coming. And in the end of The Art of Living Beautifully, the book, which I've been recommending for you to buy, and I know many of you have been, and you still can through the month of December, right at the end of the book, one of the fellas there said, someone in his church rewrote Revelation 21 and put London in it. So I've shamelessly stolen that from the book, but I've just changed a few words and put the black country in and put our area in it. And I want to read it to you, okay? And just see if this somewhere in your spirit and in your soul resonates with you. You say, do you know what? If that's what living beautifully is about, then I'm in. Then I'm in. I want to live beautifully and call others to that because it could result in this. Listen to this. It was eight o'clock on a Monday morning and I was standing on the Hagley Mile and I saw a new black country coming down from the heavens. I saw a teenager leaping out of bed with joy. See, we're talking miracles here. (laughs) Laughing with the freshness of the morning. I saw elderly ladies skipping down Manor Way. I saw children playing in Hunting Tree Park. I saw a football match on Howe's Owen College field. The teams were mixed from every people group, asylum seekers and taxi drivers, policemen and prisoners, pensioners and politicians, people from every race and class playing and laughing in the sun. I saw a street party where the people were eating and dancing because there was hope again. And I looked across from the top of Clent and I saw communities of hope, grace and warmth. No more asthma, no more unwanted pregnancies, no more violence, no more overcrowding, and nobody was too busy. There were no needles or condoms in the park, no more sorrow of family breakdown, no more poverty, no more need, no more unemployment or mind-numbing jobs, no more hopelessness, sadness or tears, only joy and laughter. There was no more discrimination, no more drunken clubbing, no threats, no fears. And I looked 
And I saw kids playing football in the streets and the neighbours were cheering them on. I saw homes without locks on the doors where a welcome was always guaranteed. I saw a black country where where neighbours shared favours and returned them without pressure or obligation. Where hearts were unbroken, partnerships were lasting, peaceful and happy. I saw a black country where families eat and play together and where the tears are no more. See, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. And along the way, we're going to get moments where that happens. And we're going to say, that's it. That's the art of living beautifully. But that only happens when we, as individuals, respond to the call to live beautiful lives. Where we have a passionate, red-hot faith. Where we don't give in to our desires and where we passionately pursue Christ. Where we let Christ create in us the me that he's always dreamt us to be. And where, when he invites us, we dance. And where we look around and we say, do you know what? You're my dance partner. Because you're my brother and sister. And you're different from me. But that's great. Because we're going to dance together. And the world will see. And we will be an icon pointing to something bigger than ourselves. Isn't that amazing? So I want to invite you this morning. As the end of our series, I hope is not the end. But the beginning of something fresh for us as a church. If you want to live the beautiful life. And you say, that's me. I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to celebrate. So if that's you and you want to say, that's me, I want to do that, then just stand with me this morning. And Father, we just want to say that we love you, God, and that in our frail humanity, we want to say we want to live the beautiful life. We want our life story to be captivating and to be inspirational. We want, Lord, the picture of the future that we see of ourselves, God, to be clear. Lord, we, 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 want, we, want to, we want to learn to jazz with you. We want to learn to, to live with you, not, not by keeping the rules, but by understanding the structures and the chords and being set free by that. And Lord, we want to dance. When you invite us, we want to dance. And we want to look around and we want to dance with each other. And we're different, but God, you're making something beautiful out of our lives when we learn to dance together. So Father, we say yes. We want to celebrate who you are. We want to thank you for all that you're going to do. Lord Jesus, even this Christmas time, would you reach into people's lives? Would you save people over Christmas, Lord God? Would you be in families, Lord Jesus? I pray, Lord God, marriages that are under, under pressure right now. Lord, let Christmas be a time of renewal of love, not a breakup. Let, let, let it be a renewal of families, Lord God. Where there's estranged kids, Lord, bring them back in Jesus' name. Praying for you, Lord, right now. Praying for you guys. Where there's estranged kids, Really just sense to pray for that. Where there are family members that aren't speaking to one another. God, would you break down those barriers in Jesus' name. Where there's poverty and where there's pain and where there's difficulty through economics and employment. God, would you be with people. Pray for the homeless people, God, right now in our community and roundabout. God, we pray for those who don't have food. We pray for those who don't have hope. And we say, Lord, please let us be the hands and feet of Christ. Let us be good news. Let us be an icon that represents something bigger than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.